You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. didn't go so well as the Bills fell to the Dolphins 21-19 in the Miami Heat, and it's time for my Buffalo Blues. Hello. How's it going, everybody? It took me a little bit longer than usual to hop into the booth and record this as I still had to process a little bit of what went down in that game and just kind of dive into the the juicy details that I love to get into. As the Bills went down to Miami in an important AFC East matchup in week three, and while they played hard, they showed heart, and they really put up a lot of offense in general. But they ended up losing by two, 21 to 19. A couple of weird sequences in that game. Just put it out of reach and credit to the Dolphins. You know, they did exactly what they had to do. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And they, you know, they capitalized on the situation. So it is what it is. Uh, I'm not here to make excuses for the Bills loss. I'm just here to look at some reasons of why it happened and what can change moving forward and what that looks like, what the future looks like. So here we are. Thank you again for joining me. It's always nice. It's usually nice. It's not victory Monday today. But, you know, everything the Bills want is still right in front of them. It's a long season. They had to lose eventually. This kind of was a perfect storm of injuries, exhaustion, being on the road, a lot of things adding up to this loss. And I think the first thing that I'll probably jump into, you know what, let's do it. Um, Right after the game, I hopped into a space on Twitter. I was listening listening to a lot of people talk. And this was a Bill Space hosted by a Bills fan, Whittle, who I know on Twitter if he listens to this, which he probably doesn't, but shout out to Whittle. And uh, LaShawn, who is, you know, basically the figurehead of Bills Mafia, one of the most generous guys that you could think of, always buying people tickets to Twitter, excuse me, always buying people on Twitter tickets to Bills games. I think he had a contest running to take a bunch of people down to Miami with him for this game. I wasn't one of those people that went to Miami. However, a lot of Bills fans did go, and he was one of them. Whittle, I think, was also down there. And, hey, they were pretty gracious in the fact that they let some Dolphins fans come and uh, speak on the microphone in this space, but these Dolphins fans were being wild very wild it's like hey you know what you guys won happy uh is the right emotion after winning against a team that many people feel are super bowl favorites against a division rival against the team that's beaten you seven times in a row of course it's good to celebrate but there's a lot of personal attacks going on there there's a lot of crazy talk going on there and i mean i'm not the kind of fan that does that anyway so it's even stranger when i see other people doing it It's a big win. I get it to a certain extent. Uh, But also, you know, I've been watching football long enough. I've been a Bills fan long enough to know that celebrating week three as if you just won an important playoff game or something is not the way to do it. There's still a lot of season left. A lot of things can go wrong for the Dolphins at this point. Um, So just good to keep expectations in check. I get it. They're undefeated. It's the first time for them it's happened in a while and after a couple of tough seasons where 
they looked good and then fell on hard times and bounced back to miss the playoffs. You know, for that fan base, it's a big win. And I don't take that away from them at all. I would feel similar in my hope as a fan if the Bills were in the same situation. Had the Bills lost... Well, we'll use the Patriots as a good example, right? So the Patriots owned the Bills for a long time. And when the Bills finally beat the Patriots, it was uh, jubilation. It was time to rejoice. And then when the Bills were able to vanquish the Patriots uh, in the playoffs as well, like, even better. But I'm not going to go attack Patriots fans on social media and make it personal and call them losers and etc etc you know that's just not who I am it's a waste of my time honestly like you know the proof is in the pudding if the Bills beat the Patriots like what do I have to say at that point like it's over the result happened um so it was just very strange to see the kind of attacks that are coming out now this idea that um also that Josh Allen is a horrible person or he's a he's not a good leader or any of that stuff because he ripped off the helmet of a defensive player that had uh, taken a groin shot at him. And this is the same guy that ran down the field and took a shot at Dawson Knox. Very clear helmet-to-helmet targeting shot. Uh, It wasn't flagged, though. And, you know, you move on. What are you going to do? But I think... As I, as I watch this game and you see Josh Allen losing his cool in that moment, like, with context, I get it. It was a bad penalty at the time, but it's very clear that part of what the Dolphins wanted to do was get the Bills flustered, get them frustrated, and they succeeded in doing that. But Christian Wilkins, you know, if he really did either punch Josh in the nuts or grab his dick or something like that, I can understand Josh's response, and he immediately gets up and starts talking to the ref about why he ripped Wilkins' helmet off. You know, they always get the person that retaliates, though, so it is what it is. But, you know, Wilkins did have that play where he ran down and definitely helmet-to-helmet hit Dawson Knox. And, you know, if that play isn't going to get flagged, then... It's weird to flag the Bills for the same penalty at the goal line later in the game. Just be consistent, right? I mean, Wilkins' hit is a defensive lineman taking a shot versus a safety on a defenseless receiver on a tipped ball. So just a little bit of inconsistency. And, you know, the Dolphins went low on Allen on another play as well, and that wasn't flagged. And it was a play where... The defender was tied up with the blocker and just kind of ended up at the legs and I didn't have a good enough view on it to to determine whether or not it was what I would say a dirty play. And then there's also the Matt Milano hit on Tua that ended up uh, basically concussing him, but the doctors came out and said it's a back injury, which, I mean, it's bullshit, but okay. Like, I want Tua to be all right, even after he got hit and wobbled off the field. I said, I hope he's okay. I don't want him to be hurt. I don't want to see people getting hurt. And I don't want the Bills to win this game because the starting quarterback for the Dolphins is out. I'd rather the Bills beat them because the Bills are the better team, right? So that's all I wanted to see. And it was just strange to see how a guy who visibly got up, stumbled, shook his head trying to get the cobwebs out, then fell over, you know, this is not a back injury. So I don't know what happened on the sidelines or with the quote-unquote independent neurologist, but there's going to be a lot of questions about that kind of contact, that kind of injury. But on that play, I said that Milano, it wasn't a dirty hit by Milano. And some random person that I don't interact with asked me, how is it not dirty, LOL? Because that's the ultimate, right? Um, Well, it wasn't dirty because it wasn't dirty. He didn't try to take out his knees. He didn't take a shot to the head. He didn't pick him up and slam him. The ball was away. Matt Milano put two hands in his chest and pushed him. Okay, it's a late hit, but not necessarily a dirty play. If you want to argue that, like, any late hit is a dirty play, then okay, you know, I I can maybe understand where you're coming from there. 
But this wasn't a dirty play. It's like the ball was just out of his hands, he puts two hands in his chest and pushes him, and Tua falls and his head whips against the ground, right? So, not a play where I'm looking at Milano like he's intent on injuring Tua there. The shot from Wilkins to Knox looked like he targeted the head. And then the defensive play by, I think it was Jaquan Johnson that got flagged on the hit over the middle to Chase Edmonds. That's a play where they they called a targeting penalty, a shot to the head and neck area of the defenseless receiver. And from what I saw, it looked like it was shoulder to shoulder. But in a bang-bang play like that, um, I think you kind of have to err on the side of caution. And Edmonds was exposed so even if it is shoulder to shoulder it's up high around the neck area and it looks bad and i honestly do not have a problem with that flag coming out there that's a play where you probably got to know better as the defender the ball had already been tipped and gone away you can ease off the gas at that point so was that a dirty hit i mean maybe it looked like he tried to make it a clean hit with the shoulder but nonetheless he's got to know better that you can't aim for anywhere really above the numbers honestly so i'm okay with that getting flagged but it just should have been called both ways across the board anyway that isn't why the bills lost those were both bad penalties but at the end of the day that's not why the bills lost the bills played pretty well all things considered they had almost 500 yards of offense i think i think it was 497 total they really, I mean, if you if you look at it objectively and you just look at what happened in the game, the Bills had twice as many first downs as the Dolphins. They ran 90 plays, 497 yards, 382 passing, 115 rushing to the Dolphins, 171 passing and 41 rushing. Uh... They were only two of four in the red zone, though. And they had time of possession, two to one, 40 minutes to 19 minutes. So what I heard a lot of from Dolphins fans was uh, the Bills didn't convert. Like, what do you have to show for all that offense? And that's a fair question, right? So first of all, we'll we'll look at a couple of things in that regard. Uh, What the Bills had to show for that offense was exactly what they wanted to show for that offense, which was controlling the clock more or less going into this game they're down Jordan Poyer they're down Micah Hyde they're down Dane Jackson and then somewhere fairly early in the game Christian Benford gets hurt as well so when that happens they're down another secondary player so it's Teron Johnson out there with a bunch of secondary players Uh, let me look at the snap count right now Benford played 19 total defensive snaps, which ended up being 44%, but that's not much. 19 snaps? That's nothing. Uh, And then Ingram, who came in and replaced him, played 24 snaps. So, really, like, it's about 50-50, but about halfway through the game, or about about halfway through the defensive uh, snaps total for the Bills, they lose another guy who's been starting at corner for them. So their secondary is totally depleted, but they knew this before the game. And that was the design of the offense, was to not ask their defense to have to go out there and constantly come up with stops. And the defense wasn't the reason they lost this game. They only gave up 21 points. Um, As a team, they... Let me see where the box score is. I had it somewhere. I had it somewhere. I have it here again. Uh, As a team... They they came away with a couple of sacks, only three tackles for loss, though. And the defense, I wouldn't say let them down. They gave up 21 points, sure. But, you know, one one big play from Miami, a 45-yarder right up the middle to Jalen Waddell on a, I think it was third and 22 on that play. That's a huge conversion. And Miami did a great job with that. Tua made a really nice throw you know, took advantage of the safety being out of position a little bit and fit the ball in there. Great play. I'm not taking anything away from them on that. But that's one huge play. And they only gave up 186 yards passing. Granted, it was on 13 attempts, so pretty high yards per completion average. And Tua had a touchdown. 
and he only got sacked once. I think that's one of the bigger reasons that things didn't go so well uh, in terms of shutting down the offense as effectively as they would have liked. But again, secondary is completely depleted. And to add to that, no Ed Oliver, no Jordan Phillips, no Tim Settle. So, so three of the four key interior D-line pieces are not there in this game. And that affects the ability for all the other edge players to get pressure. It, like Jordan Phillips has been a wrecking machine in the middle of the defense. So the fact that he's not there forces the pressure to be on mostly Von Miller and Greg Rousseau to, to come away with sacks. And Groot had a sack and a half. Not bad from him, but the only other sack I think came on a blitz, which was a, well, half sack, and it was uh, DeMar Hamlin, and he gets credited for the tackle for the loss, and Groot had two, but that's three tackles for loss for a team that really thrives in getting in the opponent's backfield. So you're looking at two defensive starters. Well, Phillips isn't a starter. I shouldn't say that. Neither is Settle. It's Jones and Oliver. But like I said, three of the four key interior D-line pieces and almost the entire secondary. Four out of the five secondary players are gone. So the Bills just weren't able to do the kind of things on defense that their defense was built to do. And again, the defense did not play bad. I think I saw a stat that it was Kair Elam who came in and on 25 coverage snaps or something, he gave up only a handful of catches for 10 yards or something like that. So he played really well when he was forced into coverage. And the Bills actually did a great job against Tyree Kill, which they typically don't do. They did a really good job against the run. Miami Miami only had 41 rushing yards. Uh, Even though Chase Edmonds punched in two touchdowns, realistically, both of those touchdowns were uh, goal line carries. And I think he only had 20-some-odd yards total. Maybe not even that. 21 yards on six carries. So... Not great. A little bit better than three a carry, and he got two touchdowns. But as a team, Mostert had eight for 11. So the Bills really had this game more or less where they wanted it, despite all of the problems. And one thing I will point out to start the rest of this, and as we look at the reasons of why they lost this game, even though they did have it more or less where they wanted it, was honestly the passing attempts. Some of the offensive design just in general as well. I know the Bills weren't running the ball that well, but dating back to last season, I said this when I finally got the microphone in that space. This is something that I looked at very closely all of last season because I believed firmly in it and it's held true. Uh, In all of the games where the Bills threw 50, excuse me, that's not exactly correct. In all the games where the Bills called at least 50 pass plays. So that includes sacks, that includes scrambles. In all of those games where the Bills sent in to the huddle and snapped the ball with a pass intended, so that's a pass play called. In all the games where they had 50 plus, they lost every single one of them. And that is something that I honed in on over and over and over again last year because half the fan base was just saying throw the ball all the time we can't run just throw all the time when the evidence was very clear that the more they throw the more they lose and so here we have an example of the bills throwing the ball 63 times and that doesn't even include the four sacks and let me see i have uh, four scrambles so that's really what Uh, 67, 68 total passes called and Allen, yeah he completed 42 of 63 for 400 yards and 2 touchdowns, like he had a good game all things considered but at the end of the day, like there's no balance there there's no balance, I mean the Bills ran the ball 23 times so you know, 23 out of 86, if that's right yeah, 23 out of 86 is 26%. And well, I know that the Bills are a good passing team, well, I don't want them to stop being a good passing team in order to feature the run, which I've said many, many times, there is a nice 
Goldilocks zone that I call it, where I like it to be around 60-40 personally. I think that's where the Bills offense has shown that they're most efficient and most effective. But I think even 65-35 is probably the real window. 35% run, 65% pass is probably right in the the outer edges of that Goldilocks zone. And then the closer the Bills get to 70%, especially when they're over 70% passing, they lose and they lose all the time. And I just don't understand it. It's something that was a problem under Dable. And it was something that they fixed going down the stretch into uh, that little run they put together after the Patriots, excuse me, not the Patriots, the Buccaneers game, where they came back in the second half and they found a way to get in that game. Those, I think, five, six games that ended the season, like they had a lot more balance. And it was something that they really preached a lot of in the offseason. It's something I know Sean McDermott wanted in terms of identity. And in this case, the run really isn't working all that well. And that's okay. Um, It's not that it wasn't working, it's how it wasn't working. They ran the ball six times in the first half, and they threw it 34 times, or they called 34 pass plays. So, of course the run's not working. You ran the ball six times. What do you expect to happen? I mean, that's not, that's not a good enough sample size to really give you any information on whether or not you're having success with the run in the first place. Anyway, they come out in the second half, they give their running backs the ball 12 times, and what do you know? Oh my goodness, it works. They get 12 carries for 63 yards. That's five and a quarter yards per carry. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you include the scrambles, which I will for a sake of argument, but it's just a tad misleading, but they still got three scrambles for 38 yards. And that's 12.6 a clip. If you combine both, they had 15 rushes for 101 yards in the second half. So it's not like the run game wasn't working. It's that they weren't dedicated to the run game. And I think at least part of the plan was to try to get the lead and then run the ball in the second half. But they didn't end up with a sizable lead going into the second half. They were tied. And then they eventually kicked the field goal and got up 17-14, but that's not, kind, that's not the kind of lead you need in order to run the clock out. But when you look at the overall offensive output from the Bills, it was solid. I saw somebody comment that this was an embarrassing game. Uh, they should be ashamed. And first of all, that's bullshit and if you're gonna look at 500 yards of offense 380 yards of passing over 100 yards on the ground as something to be embarrassed about you're wrong it's not a failure to do that on offense that's a lot of offensive success to be honest I get that they didn't put up the points but you have to take into context what's happening out there like in the second half Half the Bills players are just dropping from dehydration. McKenzie pulls up with a cramp. Diggs pulls up with a cramp. Um, I think it was Spencer Brown left the game with dehydration issues. They lose their starting center, or not their starting center. Mitch Morris was already not playing, but their backup center also leaves the game. Rick Bates leaves the game with a head injury. So they're able to actually have moderate running success in the second half. Despite all of that, despite being on, you know, third string linemen at that point, and one thing that I want to take a look at, I'm going to flip through my pages, I know I put it in here somewhere, ah, this is what I wanted to take a look at. So they ended up throwing the ball basically the same if I am not mistaken they threw it or they called 34 pass plays in the first half and 34 pass plays in the second half and in the first half Josh Allen had seven incompletions the Bills had two touchdowns they had a sack fumble that resulted in Miami set up inside the 10-yard line and they 
kind of botched the end sequence at the end of the first half while dealing with some clock management stuff. But still, seven incompletions on 34 pass attempts, that's not bad at all. And despite having the sack fumble that set Miami up, they're tied. Not the end of the world. You know, they're not, they're not going to get the ball back to start the second half. But going into the second half, it's like, okay, 0-0, let's just chalk it up to some mistakes and get back to business. And then in the second half, you really see the level of exhaustion start to set in across the board because all of a sudden you go from Allen having a very, very efficient first half and looking good to having 14 incompletions in the second half and he tripled up his scramble rate. I mean, he only scrambled once in the first half and scrambled three times in the second half, but the pressure is much more on his back as you can see. Even though they're throwing the ball more, he's trying to get the ball into certain spots and just the exhaustion across the board is bad. And I think especially on the offensive line is where it really began to matter a lot. I mean, Miami had a good defensive game plan here. I think they looked at where the Bills struggled last season, and it was in games where Allen was pressured a lot. And I don't know if the Bills won any of the games where Allen was sacked more than three times last season, but he was sacked four times in this game, including the sack fumble that allowed Miami to tie it. But, you know, this game could have gone very differently. So the Bills ended up scoring on their third possession. They got a touchdown. And it was 14-7 at that point, but aside from the sack fumble, like nothing had gone wrong for the Bills, so there's no reason to think that if that play doesn't happen, they probably score there. So there's a good chance that it could have been 21-7 there. Instead, Miami does come out and score a touchdown, so 21-14. The Bills do get a legit punt after that. So Miami would have had a chance, but they punted the ball back. Then the Bills botch... Uh, the final seconds of the half and they don't get the clock stopped and they're in field goal range so it could have easily been 24-14 at that point Miami comes out and punts again to start the second half Bills end up kicking a field goal so figure it's 20 it's possible that the game is 27-14 at that point Miami comes out they go three and out so if that game is 27-14 and the Bills have the lead and they're running the ball the way they are in the second half this is a very, very different game. But anyway, they get the three and out. Miami punts back to Buffalo. This is a situation where the Bills get down to fourth and four at the Miami 20, and they play conservative for some reason. So it's a it's a coaching question for me personally because this is a game where they're up 17-14, and they had first and 10 at the Miami 26, so clearly within field goal range already. But... Moss gets nothing on the first play. Allen goes incomplete on the next one. And then they run kind of a conservative third down play to get the ball to Knox, but they only get five yards out of it. So it just kind of seemed like they were willing to go for it on fourth down, but instead they send out the field goal unit. Now, this is an analytics-y type of moment where they're at the Miami 20. So even if they go for it on fourth down, they don't get it. Miami is still losing, and they still have to drive the entire length of the field in order to score and take the lead. They do end up scoring on that drive, but the missed field goal gives them an extra like 15 yards or so. So instead of the 20, they're starting at their own, I think, 36, 37. No, so, sorry, they start at their own 28. And so that's not like anything crazy, but they hit Waddle right away on a big play. And it's just a weird... It's just a weird moment because the Bills miss that field goal where realistically, you know, that's a that's a kick Bass makes most of the time and he shouldn't have missed it. So you could have very easily had a game that was, what, 30 to 14 at this point. But regardless, Miami comes down, they score, they make it 21. So when in an alternate universe, this game is 30 to 21. And then the Bills come out and... They turn the ball over on downs after having a 17-play, 73-yard drive. And it ends really just kind of with that ugly bounce pass to McKenzie. But this is, this is a situation that I was concerned with in the Titans game as I watched the Bills kind of struggle with their short yard situations. 
because they haven't shown at this point that they want to be a power football team. So they they don't really look to line up and run and play power and just get a yard where they need it. But they got to second and one at the Miami six. Singletary gets a four-yard carry and converts right there on second down. Totally understandable. And now it's first and goal at the Miami two. And of all the times to have Zach Moss in the game, this is what he's here for, is short yardage goal line situations. But Singletary's in there. They come in, they get a yard, hits the two-minute warning. So this is already late in the game because the Bills have controlled so much clock. But they're down. They're down 17-21 here. Uh, but they come out, and now it's second to goal with the Miami one, and they design a Josh Allen play, and he loses a yard because after you stuff the run, like, where else are you going to go? Miami knows that you're not going to give the ball to the running back again. So they, they're pretty sure the Josh Allen run is coming, and they stuff it, and they did a good job of that. So now it's third and two, and Allen drops back and tries to force that ball over the middle to Diggs. That Xavier Howard did a nice job of diving and getting his hands on there. And now they decide to go for it on fourth and two at the Miami two. And I don't know what happened, but Allen threw a terrible pass. I don't know if he just got a little bit ahead of himself. I think it was after this series where they were looking at his hand on the sideline. I heard he got x-rays after the game, so I'm not 100% sure what happened, but... He threw, he had Isaiah McKenzie open, and it's a pass that he completes more often than not. So he throws that ball into the ground. They don't convert, but figure you give him the seven right there. This could have been a 26-21 game with Miami getting the ball and having to score a touchdown to win the game. Now, in this other reality where all of the things went correctly for the Bills, that would have been a touchdown and it'd be 37 21 at that point and you know the bills have scored 31 and i think 41 as well so that's well within the range like that's you know things they do all the time and there's just a couple things that didn't go their way and you see it's the difference between scoring 19 and scoring 40. If I'm just curious for the people that thought that this was an embarrassing offensive performance because they only scored 17 points on offense. Like, if all of the things lined up and the Bills, say, did get to 37, or let's just say they scored 30, right? They don't score that last touchdown to McKenzie, and it's still a close game, and they're at 30 and the Dolphins are at 31, right? If the Bills score 30 points and they lose... 30 to 31 under the same circumstances they still need a field goal at the end the safety stuff just lines up where they're down by a, a winnable margin with a field goal but had the bill scored 30 points in that game do people still think it's an abject failure based on their yardage i don't think so because it isn't it's just people are looking at the numbers and Oh, they only scored 17 points and yada, yada, yada. And so you got to remember, like, Gabe Davis dropped a touchdown in this game. They missed the field goal. Um, Josh Allen missed a wide open Isaiah McKenzie on that. Like, there's a lot of things that didn't go according to plan and stuff that they've done so far that they've established that they can do uh, this season. The Gabe Davis drop was a bad one because it was such realistically an easy catch for him. There was a series before where they kicked the field goal. It was a second 11 at the 11 and this is a ball that Gabe has he catches it he turns around and somewhere in the process of getting his feet in and turning around he loses it but you know that's a touchdown right there and so they end up taking a field goal but realistically it should probably be 21 14 at least in that game then you add the missed field goal it's 24 14 so if the Dolphins score okay it's 24 21 then the Bills have the ball they turn over on downs like this is a game where the Bills realistically dominated with a lot of guys out. And if they were to play this game again tomorrow, I would take the Bills for sure. The Bills realistically got very good play out of their young secondary players. Uh, Tua was 13 of 18 for I think 180 something in a touchdown. So like Tua did what he was supposed to do, but so did the young Bills defense. And I think they overachieved and they're getting they're gonna have a lot more confidence heading into a second game with them the the things that stand out are after the bills get the ball back and they're up seven nothing why they go basically the same play to zach moss back to back for two yards and then the sack fumble happens like 
I'm I don't hate Zach Moss. He had the best run in this game. He had four carries for 46 yards total, but 43 came on that one play in the second half, and it was a great run. It's actually he showed all of the things that I think the Bills front office and coaching staff really believe in in that play. Like he showed good vision. He made a good move to get to the place where there was space for him to run, and then he showed really good speed. Like that was a great play. And I want to see more of that from him. I'm just curious why it seems like every week Devin Singletary is clearly the best guy in the backfield early in the game. And after he has a good series, they just take him out and switch to Moss and Moss comes in and doesn't do much. And then it's like a scramble to find which running back's going to work after that. It just, it seems like it keeps happening. I don't know why. Singletary ended up having nine catches for 78 yards and a touchdown in this game. So he wasn't running the ball that effectively, but Overall, he finished with uh, 91 yards and a touchdown. Like, that's a solid day. I, I had him in some fantasy leagues, and I know he always does well against the Dolphins, and I still didn't play him like an idiot, and he still succeeded. So I get that he wasn't running the ball well, but nobody was running the ball well in the first half, and I just don't see why they're taking him out of the game when he's doing well. I understand going to Moss in the second half where you want the guy who's the hammer, you want to bleed the clock out you need some power you need some short yardage all that stuff but they don't even bring Zach Moss in in those situations so I just don't understand it at all like why is he the power back if you're going to use Singletary on second and one at the goal line right it just the philosophy of how they get their running backs involved in the game is a little confusing to me at this point but it is what it is um there's a there's a spot on their fourth drive where it's first and 10 at the Miami 45 um there it is it's their yeah it's their second to last play second to last drive of the half first and 10 at the miami 45 tie game fourth and four excuse me four minutes 14 seconds to go and they go pass 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 and they even call a timeout after their second incompletion i don't remember why if it was it's a little too far outside of the injury timeout range but they come out and it's now third and ten at the miami 45 and it's incomplete again but if the goal here is to take time off the clock not let the dolphins offense have a chance and you get to first and ten at their 45 that's where you run the ball because they started that possession not that possession but that particular set of downs there was four minutes, 14 seconds left in the first half. And after the three incompletions, by the time they punt, they're punting with 3.55. So they didn't even take 30 seconds off the clock. And this is them moving into Miami territory with a chance to take the lead before the half. And I just think they handled that very strangely. If anything, make sure you run the ball at least once to get the clock moving. Get a couple yards out of it even if it's an allen keeper you just have him scramble for a couple yards you got to find a way to be able to run the ball in those situations and it's something where they were just not committed to the run in the first half at all and that's a sequence that showed it they end up punting there and getting nothing out of that so that's a series where they could have scored as well and i think they just let that one get away from them and then the series that ends the the first half, you know, they don't have any timeouts. They're scrambling, but they get to the Miami 41, spike the ball. They go over the middle to McKenzie, and then it's time to spike it again, and it's a fumbled snap, so he can't spike it. And then he throws the ball to Diggs, gets nine yards, but the half runs out. And so that's a situation where it's not the first fumbled snap of the game and just the unfamiliarity of having a guy as your center that you know isn't Mitch Morse and I don't remember if it was Van Rotten at that point or if they had gone to um excuse me who is it Mansk Manx I don't know if it was Manx he had 25% snap count though and Van Rotten had 75%. So it was it was Van Rotten who fumbled it at that point. Um, but that was, I think, the second fumbled handoff in the first half alone. So it, it's 
it's just kind of it was like a little bit of foreshadowing of like things were not going to go well if the Bills had no timeouts and they were under pressure to act fast in the heat while they're all getting exhausted. So that wasn't um, fantastic. And it, it's a situation where points are off the board again there. So you had two drives near the end of the first half where you could have at least had field goal attempts and just didn't go that way. Uh, starting, let's see, not starting, but this is the, is this the Gabe Davis drop that I'm looking at here on my noty notes? This is the, that's the fifth drive. So that's, this is the sixth drive. This is the false start. Yes. Okay, so really good drive. They get all the way down to uh, third and one at the Miami eight. Allen scrambles, gets the gets the two, gets the two yards for the first down. But Rick Bates is hurt at that point. So now the Bills are down another offensive lineman, and I think Spencer Brown's out at that point already. So the two guys on the right side of your line uh, are gone, and your center is not far behind at this point. Um, I mean, he's he's he ends up leaving at some point but the point is the Bills lose another offensive lineman and then you go first and goal at the Miami 6 false start on the center it says I think he's playing center at this point excuse me but anyway false start so now it's first and 11 this is the situation where they end up first and 11 at the Miami 11 four minutes to go in the third quarter and it's another situation where they go incomplete Allen finds Davis for the touchdown that is dropped incomplete regardless and then incomplete again so they go from four minutes on the clock to 340 by the time they kick the go-ahead field goal to make it 17-14 so I guess what I'm seeing on those two I think it's back-to-back drives. No, excuse me. It was uh, one of the drives near the end of the first half and this drive with four minutes left in the third quarter. There was the the drive that ended the first half before that. Regardless, in two out of the last three drives, there's situations where the Bills have a favorable position on the field and with the clock to try to run the ball. And... They don't. And now, if you're playing from behind, if time is an issue, I understand it more. But when the entire game plan was designed on trying to make it as easy as possible on your young defense by keeping them off the field and keeping the Miami offense off the field, when that's the design of your game plan, it makes no sense to me to get to that position that late in the third quarter and then not run the ball there not run it once I get it on third and 11 like you're not going to run there and on second 11 you want to take a shot understand that but run the ball on first down there especially if you're trying to keep your defense off the field so anyway they, they end up kicking the field goal. They get the three and out. So everything is looking like, okay, it's mostly fine. And there's two minutes left in the third quarter when they get the ball back. And they only go six plays. Moss had that big 43-yard run right there. And then Allen had an 11-yard scramble. So they're down to the Miami 26 already. First and 10 at the Miami 26. I think they learned their lesson. They run the ball with 35 seconds. The third quarter ends. They should start the third quarter with the run. I understand that... It's second and nine at that point, but you don't want the clock to not move to start the quarter when you're trying to make the clock move. Like, it makes no sense. There's 15 minutes on the clock, and it's a dead clock. And then by the time they make the next snap, it's 14.56 on the clock. And then by the time they get to the field goal attempt, uh, it's 14.12 on the clock. So they haven't even taken a minute off of the fourth quarter clock when they missed this field goal. And then the Dolphins have the ball basically at the beginning of the fourth quarter down four points, and they end up having the touchdown drive. So sure, that only takes four minutes off. The Bills have a ton of time left in the game. It's not looking like it's going to be the end of the world, but that's 
what, three situations now within four drives where they didn't stay committed to the idea of making sure the clock is on their side. And I know it's a small thing, and they still had 40 minutes of possession, so they still dominated time of possession, but those little types of things go a long way. And I think we're going to see more that those situations, especially inside like the 15, inside the 10, when you have the lead or the ball and you're about to take the lead, you definitely have to try and take some clock away. And I think Ken Dorsey is going to go back and look at this tape and he's going to see some of those things. And they'll probably sneak in a run here or there. I mean, fuck it. If Josh Allen takes a knee in any of those situations, I'm better with that than him uh, having an incompletion. I know you want to stay aggressive. I know you want to throw the ball. I know it's Josh Allen, etc., etc., etc. But this is a game where you're kind of like shooting your own game plan in the foot by doing that kind of play calling. And it's not exactly keeping the defense honest either. Whatever, Miami ends up scoring. The Bills go down 17 plays, 73 yards. And this is the one that gets chunked in the dirt. Because again, first and goal at the Miami 2. 2.36 left in the fourth quarter. This is not really Singletary territory. This is what Zach Moss is here for, but Singletary just had a four-yard run to convert the first down. So I get it. You know, you want to give him a chance, but he gets a yard, two-minute warning hits. The Bills, I think, learned at least from the last several sets of plays that they want to take this clock as low as possible. They go ahead and they run Allen for the one-yard loss. So, like I said, if it's about time management, him taking a one-yard loss right there and forcing Miami to take a timeout is slightly better considering the circumstances of this game. But third and two at the Miami two, Allen goes incomplete over the middle to Diggs. And I like them taking a shot at the end zone here because they have to, they're down four. But I'm almost curious if they run the ball there, it goes very heavily against their their play calling tendencies if they would have had a good shot to run it on that third and two or if this is the play on third and two where you try to get Josh Allen moving and try it this is it just seems like third and two at the Miami two down four that seems like it's Josh Allen run the ball in for a touchdown territory so the fact that this was a, a play where Diggs gets drawn to the middle of the end zone for this attempt clanker but fourth and two at the Miami two after that is the one where Allen threw into the dirt. And I get that they they have to go for it here. And again, it's a situation where the tendencies definitely say pass. And there may be wiggle room to get a run in there. But regardless, they got the look they wanted. They got Isaiah open towards the boundary and Allen just threw a chunker in the dirt. I mean, it was a horrible throw, like straight up. I, he knows it. I don't, I don't have to, you know, ride him for this like so many people are doing and, you know, just basically saying he's a bad quarterback because of that one throw, which is fucking ridiculous. But anyway, it was a bad throw. It happens. The Bills get to play defense and they get the safety that they're looking for. It would have been better had they got the ball off of that, uh, that weird punt and scored a touchdown, but, you know, Thomas Morstead punts it off his own player's ass. The ball goes flying out of bounds. So it's 19-21. Bills have the ball. Minute 33. That's enough time for them to get themselves into field goal range to win the game. And they're in the process of doing that. Allen uh, converts uh, third and one to Morris for seven yards, and that gets him to the Miami 43. So first and 10. He's out of bounds. 27 seconds. They're at the 43. That's a 60-yard field goal. And Bass has a good leg. 60's long for Bass, especially after he missed, but he's got a big enough leg where I think he could hit it. But regardless, this is a play where on first and 10 from your opponent's 43 with 27 seconds and no timeouts, you don't necessarily have to go to the sideline here. If you get five yards and you make that a 55-yard field goal, then that's a much better percentage kick for your kicker who's got a big accurate leg uh if you get anywhere from five to eight yards you're in much better shape if you get a first down uh you're in really great great shape 
I don't I don't understand why you throw a deep ball here though uh, I don't have the play in front of me so I can't really exactly remember what it was but it's listed as Josh Allen incomplete deep right I would have to go back and look at the tape to see exactly what it was but uh, this is a play where you want to try and use the middle of the field Dawson Knox run uh, a running back uh, comeback route over the middle something to just find some space get a catch gain some yardage and get down and spike the ball and give your guy a chance to at least have the kick there um, but then on the next play incomplete again and they get hit with a holding call so the passing play is taken off the board but Queensberry who's now in there been in there for Spencer Brown gets caught with a hold excuse me Queensberry and they're back 10 yards so now they're at their own 47 they really don't have a choice they can't go over the middle because if they go over the middle they don't have a timeout and they're pretty they're pretty screwed at this point in the game but Allen manages to step up, avoid some pressure, and find Isaiah McKenzie streaking across the middle of the field. And he hits him, and McKenzie is barreling towards the sideline, but he gets angled out by one of the defenders and is forced to cut it back inside. He gets tackled, stays inbounds, there's about nine seconds on the clock, and it's theoretically enough time to get the ball back to the referee and to allow everything to get set for the kick, but you know what in practice it's sloppy it's it's hot as hell out there so i'm sure after that play mckenzie's not moving at full speed uh he gets bumped into by a couple miami guys the offensive line is slow everybody's slow so it just doesn't get executed well and they end up not being able to get the spike off and they lose and they don't even have a chance to win so just it was bad clock management at the end of the first half and then it came and reared its ugly head again at the end of the second half and you know looking back at the Titans game I had some concerns over their third their third and short fourth and short type of plays um, they didn't really have to worry about clock management in that game because they were up by so much but valuable lessons to take away from this one for sure I mean all in all considering I think the Bills were down like 10 11 starters by the time the game ended the, I mean, Jay Kumaro went down as well. So if you go Kumaro, all three guys from the center to the right side of the offensive line are gone. Uh, and then four or five secondary players are gone. I mean, it was amazing that nobody else went out in that game. Fortunately, like the Bills defense wasn't on the field that much. But if it were 50-50, I could have seen the Bills defense really getting exhausted as well. So it's a game where Allen put a ton of the responsibility for winning the game on his shoulders and Ken Dorsey from the coordinator booth also put a ton on his shoulders but you're asking a lot of him and I, I hope his hand is okay I, I don't want to see him have to throw the ball 60 times a game ever again uh, this isn't even a game where they had to throw the ball 60 times a game so that's even more frustrating but I don't want to see that you know everybody's got a chip in here I think had the Bills stayed committed to their run game in the first half they would have realized way earlier that they can have success there because they were averaging really nice five and a quarter a carry in the second half um, and it just it was like awkwardly awkwardly timed because they were already in rhythm throwing the ball and uh, Josh had a really solid first half this was, this was a winnable game, is what it is. I'm not taking anything away from the Dolphins. They, they came with a good game plan to stifle the run. And I think if you look at what the Dolphins did, they know that Josh Allen's hard to stop. So they look at the Rams and they look at the Titans game and they're like, okay, well, maybe we can take away the run and force him to throw all the time. And if we force him to throw all the time, we'll have some chances to get after him. And it happened a lot during the middle of the season last year where the Jags did it, the Titans did it, the Bucks did it. Like all those losses in the middle of the season were Josh Allen getting sacked a lot. So if you can get to him and you can cause pressure, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard for any quarterback to win in those circumstances. Just look at what Joe Burrow's going through in the first couple of weeks uh, for the Bengals getting hit all the time. Like, you know, it just is what it is. So credit to Miami for doing what they were supposed to do for coming and being prepared in this game. Um, they're going to travel to Buffalo in December. It's going to be a different game, assuming 
the Bills can get healthy. I mean, that's the one thing that I really wanted to see from this game. It would have been nice for the Bills to get a win, but I just wanted them to come out of this game healthy, and it seems like they're worse off uh, coming out of it than they are going in. They lost Christian Benford as well in this game. So, you know, Benford was out, Poyer's out, Hyde's out, Dane Jackson's out, uh, <laughs> Ed Oliver's out, Jordan Phillips is out, Tim Settle's out, uh, Rick Bates out, Spencer Brown out, Mitch Morse out, his backup Van Rotten out, and then you got Kumaro out, you got uh, Isaiah McKenzie you got Diggs cramping the whole game. Dawson Knox gets taken out of the game at one point with the, after the shots of the head. So it's just it was one of those things, man. Like this is, this is such a tough game in general against a good team in the Dolphins that all of the circumstances just led into a really really tough game and a close loss. And that's it. I'll, I'll probably, we'll see how I do with the written version. I don't know how much of this I want to rehash, but <sighs> bummer. It's a bummer. That's all I can say. But I'm proud of the heart this team showed. I'm proud of the fight that they showed. And realistically, like if you watched how this team performed and you watch what they left on the field, the fact that these guys are cramping and getting hydrated and coming back in the game, limping, like... If you really watched the effort from this team and you were embarrassed by it or you were frustrated with it, that says a lot more about you than it does about them. I can understand being frustrated that they lost. I can understand being disappointed that they lost. I'm both of those things. But what I saw from the team is a lot of heart, a lot of effort, and they left everything on the field. I mean, you saw... Josh Allen crumbled to the ground after he missed the play to McKenzie. And then again, when they couldn't get out of bounds to stop the clock at the end of the game, like he cares so much about winning that if you see that and you think that they didn't give effort, you're wrong and you probably should watch a different team. Um, and you know what? Maybe you hate me for that, but I think realistically... If you can remove yourself from the idea of the loss hurting you as a fan, you'll see that this team played hard. And what I really want the Bills to be able to do is play hard. And that's, it's something that I saw in the Tampa Bay game last year too. The Bills were getting beat up early in that game and at halftime it didn't look good. And a lot of people were already jumping ship saying that this is not a good team. A lot of Bills fans, like this is not a good team. They suck, yada yada, etc. And it, it turns out that that halftime moment for them was what galvanized that team. They showed in the second half that they weren't going to lay down and take it. And they came and they fought back and they ultimately lost. But what they showed in the second half was the team that they are. And I think, you know, that was what, like a week 10, 12, 13 game last season. So the fact that you get that kind of game at this point in the season, I think is really good in terms of understanding who this team is. Uh, that they play for each other. You know, a lot of people are going to make fun of Ken Dorsey for going buck wild up in the booth, but shit, I'm glad that he cares that much. I'm glad that he saw that this was a winnable game and it just slipped away and he's pissed because a lot of people are pissed and I think it's okay to be pissed, but he, there's no way he's pissed at the effort of his team. And I don't think the team is going to look at that and be like, oh, wow, this guy's unhinged. They're going to want to play for that guy because he cares and they care. And as Bills fans, you know, I'm okay with it. Do you think he cares what some trolls on the internet think? Anyway, it's been a long one. I got to edit this show down. I didn't plan to do an hour on this, but there's always more to talk about from losses because there is more to learn from losses than wins. And I think there's actually a lot to learn from this game. And moving forward, I'm not really worried about the Bills at all other than them being healthy. If they're healthy, they're the best team in football. When they're not healthy, they still are super competitive against an undefeated team that is young and talented. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not really upset with the effort. The outcome, of course, not great. But it's still early. You know, they're 2-1. The division is still within reach. The playoffs are within reach. 
everything is right there. Everybody needs to pump their brakes and calm down and don't throw a fucking tantrum or a conniption fit. As always, it's Go Bills. So, if you listen to this, thank you. Until next time, take care of yourself, stay safe, be well, Go Bills. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to your Bills Mafia content, and I still believe word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed what I'm doing, please tell somebody. But liking and subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts, also helps out too. This show is an extension of thescheist.com, and you can contact me at info at or at scheistpodcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills! Go Bills!